0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Did you know that oat milk uses a lot less water, less land, and creates far less greenhouse gases than cow's milk? This useful fact is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan oat milk originally from Sweden that's now available in the U.S., you can find out more useful facts than you'd ever want to know about oat milk at oatly.com. That's O A T L Y.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Mike Messersmith, General Manager for Oatly. Mike leads all aspects of U.S. operations, innovation, business strategy, sales hiring, and finance for Oatly. He's basically like 10 episodes of In the Sauce <laughs> in one guest. I'm going to try. I know sometimes it, I... It's
2: a mega pod. I mean, it, this is
1: like a super pod. Also, yeah. one note is I've been trying to get Mike on this show for like since we started. So you will notice that they are our sponsor now, but it has nothing to do with Mike's... Being I can double
2: stamp that. Nothing to do at all. <laughs> you didn't we pay have, me no, for we, your... <laughs> we've been talking about this for a while. I'm glad the schedule's finally made it work. <laughs>
1: um. So the thing about you is like... I don't know, just as a personal little story, you know, my son was a little unsure about what he wanted to do in college. And I called you and you spent hours with him. You're just, you're one of those guys. You're so humble. You're such a good guy. You mm-hmm. answer every question. You're building this like mega thing and you just always have time for the people in your life, I guess, that you care about. And I'm just really psyched that, I somehow That's so kind. slipped into that. No, bucket. I love it.
2: That's, I mean, ultimately we're in a relational business yeah. and like those connections are a big part of why I'm in the job or any success I've had is not partial. I mean, it's not really due to me. It's the team and the relational pieces yeah. around
1: me. And so it's, um, it's also a killer product, which it's a great we product. will get to. It's phenomenal. Um, but, As since now I know that you've listened to a few episodes now, Um, we're going to get into you a little bit. Um, You grew up in Pennsylvania. I did. You traveled around a lot because Mm -hmm. your dad had a job which Mm -hmm. required traveling a lot Mm -hmm. or he kept moving to places. What were you like? Were you as gregarious as you are now? Were you quiet? Were you? I
2: definitely wasn't quiet. My dad switched jobs a bunch when I was growing up. Uh, I switched schools a bunch when I was growing up. And so when you're like short and a bit like stocky would be the (laughs) night, the way that like I think J C Pennies would say it on my jeans, Husky. Husky Um, is the word I was looking And you're switching schools. You need to be like, you compensate with humor and relational pieces. And so like I would get to a new school and make friends. Hey, I'm Mike. Mike. I'm Mike. I, you know, I know baseball statistics and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, I was not... A wallflower, always pretty much a outgoing, pretty gregarious. Did person. you
1: get in trouble?
2: No, no. I was terrified of getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a, I was a strict rule follower for for many many years. My wife now is a habitual rule breaker, and that just makes me like <laughs> it makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and so, uh, no, I'm a. I I struggle with getting in trouble and, and living in fear of that. Yeah.
1: I mean, because I can kind of see you like being in like the scrappy group of kids mm-hmm. that does get into trouble, but you're always like out the door That's fast. Exactly right. Yeah. I'm actually going to a caught. high school
2: reunion yeah. this weekend. And uh-huh. I'm going to see some of those people that were doing like the bad things yep. in, in high school mm-hmm. and middle school. And I was like the one that they told their parents that they were going out with. Yeah. So that it was all like approved yes. that we would get to go. Like, well, Mike's going. And they're like, right. oh, we trust Mike. That's and then I'm like, I, I don't know, I would just drive home or right.
1: something. Right. Yeah, I can, I can totally picture that. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So do you remember what you wanted to be?
2: So I didn't remember what I wanted to be when I grew up until in my research and my prep for this megapod. I like knew that it was coming up and I had to have a good answer. So I asked my mom if she remembered and she and my dad conferred that the thing I wanted to be was to be a food critic.
1: Oh my gosh. Which I think. That's kind of perfect. uh, I guess.
2: I really like to eat. So there's that. (laughs) I like to talk about things. So there's another piece. I had a whole, we lived in Connecticut for a while when I was a child and I had a whole rating systems for New England clam chowders right. in the greater New England, like mystic area, okay. which is way too much information. No, I think um, it's
1: awesome. But my big question is <sighs> like, why did you block that from your memory? Like, I don't know. What?
2: I think I suppressed it. I don't That's know. It's so it, crazy. But yeah, I mean, uh, eating food and having an opinion is like, there's never been a better time to I be mean, alive. I mean, by the way, person, I'm
1: surprised so. I didn't want to be a food critic.
2: You'd get great I fan.
1: that I, I really would have been a good food yeah. critic. I don't know that there would have been much you know, work for me. And
2: then you just but, watch enough episodes of yeah. Top Chef and you're able to say it's like it's well balanced.
1: Right. Good you know, mouthfeel. Use feel. a little bit more
2: acidity. <laughs> right. a little bit under season for me. The risotto is terrible. I like the mouthfeel
1: and toothsome. Oh toothsome I, yes, is a good I one. Like yeah. The
2: pasta was a bit toothsome. <laughs> yeah. It's a great word.
1: Um so when you went to you went to Duke. I did you know Go this devils. this um podcast has a weird disproportionate number of Duke graduates, including myself. And I don't consider myself like a particularly like blue devilish. <laughs> I don't actively seek okay. out people. No that, face paint?
2: They're... Like there's no, no face paint or no, podcast? No, no. I
1: don't okay. even know when basketball is okay. happening. and That's fine. I haven't been back. I'll send you an email. Okay, great. Um, but you went to Duke. I did. And you did Naval ROTC. I did. So did you want to be in the Navy or was that your way of getting... It,
2: it was a little bit of both. So I want to go to a great school. Yeah. Um, I've always had an element of trying to be. A little bit self-determining and autonomous, and there's a great program where the government will. I would, I honestly would have never cut it at a service academy. I was not cut out for the naval yeah. academy. While I do fault follow, like following rules, it would have been too strict for me. Yeah. So you get the best of both worlds of bo- getting to go to both an awesome private school with a great yeah. basketball team, sports teams like fraternities, all that stuff, Right. and uh, the government pays for your full tuition
1: as long as you do. As four long as years. you do,
2: yeah. You have to. You have yeah. an, uh, an obligation after you graduate, which. I didn't realize at the time, but was kind of awesome because I didn't have to worry about internships and new jobs. Right. And like I had a job already when yeah. I graduated, which allowed me to pick majors and take classes that cool. I wouldn't have necessarily, all my friends that were doing like econ and public policy majors and working really hard to get internships. Like I didn't do that. Did college. you
1: have to be like an engineer STEM guy? Or... They
2: really wanted you to be engineer yeah. STEM guys, but I was a history and elementary education yeah, major. That's
1: so cool. Um, because
2: I'm good at reading books. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was the thing.
1: Yeah, and and you know the the, the military needs like some historians and some readers yeah. and some analytics. And, you like, know, not being just able just to think critically right. on
2: stuff. And as it turned out, I ended up doing engineering things in the Navy anyway because right. I'm I can.
1: You can do, do both. that because that's um, what makes you a generalist. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly.
2: Like left brain, right brain and stuff. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was a great program because I was able to pay for college and take that burden off my parents. Go to a great school that I was super Amazing. proud of. Um, great four years, North Carolina, good time. So
1: then you did four years of service,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then and then you went to business school. I did. Or did yep. you? So did you know in the? Did you, why?
2: Yeah. So like we, I mean, I loved my time in the Navy. That was uh, I, I spent five years on active duty as an officer in the Navy in the nuclear power program (laughs) for them on aircraft carriers, which have nuclear reactors on board. And it's a very different, uh, day-to-day life than selling oat milk for a living. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but we'll we'll get to some parallels parallels there that help me. And Mm -hmm. I, I love my time. And, uh, honestly, like I knew that it, you know, one, I was around people that I liked and respected, but I saw what you're, you're away from your family, you're away from the people that are really like your people in life yeah. for so long, and it's a very. I moved five times in five years, yeah. and it was hard to really establish roots. I didn't want to do that for the long term. I was very proud of the the chapter that I had. Yeah, my father was in the navy. Both my grandparents were in the military um, during World War II, so there's a great legacy of service within my family that I was proud to be a part of. Um, but. I, I didn't want to do that long term. I didn't have an ambition of being a sea captain for a right. living. That didn't really uh, blow my hair back. Um, <laughs> uh, and and then for business school, like I saw people getting out, and a lot of them were going to very like lateral sort of like tech, very technical jobs. Right. And that wasn't as a, I wanted something that was a balance of technical analytical ability and relational um, ability, right. which is the thing I think I do really well yeah. is is build great relationships and communicate on things. And so. Business school was kind of that launch pad pivot for me of going from a very, it was a great career switching moment. I tried to use business school for what it's really good for, which is to help you make a pivot right. from one thing to another in your career. Because um, you, you didn't fig- know
1: what that no. you didn't know what, you just I wrote an
2: I wrote my essay about like wanting to bring nuclear power solutions to America. And I honestly thought I'd work at like a big industrial firm. Right. And then I talked to more people at school and they were like, no, like a consumer package. I, I have a friend that worked at a consumer packaged goods company and she described her job. And I was like, that's, that's nice cool. cool. That's yeah. awesome. Cause you get to like own a product, make decisions. Like you're using data to inform data and like information to inform like calls you have to make. I was like, that's what I want to do.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Cause we had, I had another guest on um, who is now, she's, she does VC. It's, it's Lauren Jupiter. And she went to, um, she went to Dove Soap during business school it was like one of her sort of internships and it was like the first time she ever sort of saw behind the curtain that there are all of these decisions like the thing that you're using to wash your face or that you're pouring in your coffee like there's a whole slew of stuff going on behind there that that informs those decisions and how to make the package and what like what goes into it how they communicate all of that stuff and if you kind of get into it it I mean, I don't think there's anything I've ever 100%. studied that's and more like And
2: exce- being a part of a company that makes an accessible product yeah. that regular people can enjoy, that you don't have to shop at a fancy place to be yeah. able to buy, or that, you know, I think about where I grew up in Northeast Pennsylvania, that like... You know, would have been something that would have been in our fridge. Like that yeah. piece is mode. I'm not. I would not be suited for luxury goods. <laughs> or, it's like it's just not me. And so, it's but I, like, sure. it, yeah, 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 it's not. Uh, <laughs> but like, accessible, like mass, yeah. like accessible products is that's a that's a great space to be in because you can actually add value to people's lives.
1: So you went straight from business school to to Lay.
2: I did. Yeah.
1: Um, and was that just like a? They go to Harvard and they're like, hey, Harvard, send us some. Something like you that. Know, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was,
2: like... uh, I thought I wanted like to work Like how in... I
1: slipped the Harvard Business School in there? I did but, see that. Yeah. I wasn't okay. going to... Was, I know, yeah, I know. It's the school in Boston. Because you're a humble guy. Yeah. In Cambridge. Yeah, in Cambridge.
2: School in Cambridge. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I thought I wanted to work in consumer packaged goods, and I applied for every internship that you could imagine. And there were a handful of them on campus. It was like a little bit of a different time with how people thought about jobs and shaping their future, and I got rejected for every single one of the interviews really trying to convince like cpg marketers right. that like this navy, navy guy. O- engineering officer yeah. who has no experience could like do this job was really really hard Um, I, there was a team of people that came from Frito that were willing to like believe that I could do it and they gave me an internship and I am eternally grateful for that. I worked my butt off. It
1: would be hard to imagine. And I guess, I guess the thing is what you said is they didn't even give you an interview because once you got the interview, I'm sure anyone would hire you for anything. It was probably on paper. I hope so.
2: But it's, it's it's, when people are, I'm guilty of this even today when we hire, like it's hard sometimes to imagine, like you have a very set framework for how you're evaluating right. the candidate you want you want to see certain types of companies experiences etc right and like how you can read a cover letter you might get like mm-hmm. a call you do an informational interview but like it's hard to believe that some people can make that transition so yeah. i don't hold it against those people i just know that i was like going through it and was like okay i have like one left like hope this yeah. works out if not i'm gonna go uh, do something else this summer so
1: what did you do when you got to frito-lay
2: so it frito was great I had an amazing experience there. My wife and I uh, lived in Dallas, Texas. For we were we're both like northeast. So you Yankees. were married
1: before business school.
2: We we got married uh, in the two weeks uh, <laughs> right right as I was graduating from business school. We dated got the it. entire time I was in business school. We got married right before graduation. We moved. I felt like before we moved to Texas, we need to get married. Yes, uh, that was a key part both for her parents and just I think the law <laughs> down there. Um, and so uh, we we had like a three year adventure in Texas, which for both like like Yankee liberals like yep. was uh our like living abroad experience. But we made some great friends. <laughs> I loved uh, my time at Frito. Like amazingly smart, dedicated people. Great brands. I learned so much. Um, and I think was a great stepping stone for other things. And also like I honestly I have so many I talk to people now that are coming out of business school and they want to work in natural yeah. foods. And like if I had done a job and I have friends that do like started their own companies right out of business school, work like that's great yeah. for them. And I am super impressed by that. I would I think I would have been terrible at that. Yeah. Like I I needed I did not have the confidence and I needed more seasoning, I think, to like go to a place where there's structure and like Big companies, like, you can mess some stuff up, but you're not going to run it off the rails right. at that level and all those things. Right. And so uh, I learned a ton, usually by me- messing things up, I think, at Frito. And, and, like, that was a very valuable experience for me just to – Build some more professional confidence and momentum right. just in my career. I think.
1: Did were you able to sort of like winnow down to like what was interesting about CPG at Frito? Like, was it a place where you were like, oh okay, I'm gonna be better at this than yeah. this? Or yeah, like, I mean, what'd you come up with? I, I mean, I
2: think like commercial and marketing roles of like how to move the market with distributors and customers, um, you know, how to build great communications frameworks. I mean, I was a brand manager on Doritos, mm. for which, again, is a pretty, like, nuclear power to Doritos brand management to Oatly are, like, a right. very wide <laughs> spectrum of things. But Doritos, like your inner 17-year-old just rejoices every day at that brand. You're like doing activations with Snoop Dogg and like <laughs> Xbox and things like that. It's amazing. Um, but I, I think I took a lot of really positive things that helped me. I think I also saw some things about where food was moving and my own motivations of like, you're given this time on this earth to, and you're, you know, endowed with certain gifts and talents. And like, I, I really enjoy that company, but I didn't want to necessarily sell 500 million pounds of nacho cheese Doritos like that. I felt like maybe there was a different application of that. And again, it's not a judgment of someone that wants to do those sorts of roles. Like they're great products that people enjoy that bring genuine like joy and connection in people's lives. But it just, uh, I got to see a little bit also like the way big companies are structured, how they're competing in the market that I think also shaped. Then my goal after a couple of years of saying, okay, I want to now start to do stuff that's smaller, right. maybe a little bit more mission and values. And I've kind of now just continued to progress down that
1: trajectory in my career. And that's how you ended up at Chobani. It is. So what what did you do at Chobani? And what was the shift? Like what did you – you took your lessons from Frito-Lay and yeah. then you moved on to the next thing. And yeah.
2: I, I joined Chobani in a time of uh, – They weren't some, this big. They weren't – no. Yeah. Well, they're not as big as, – yeah. I mean that – they've – they're an amazing company and yeah. they built something phenomenal, not as big as they are today. Kind of in the middle, it's like the end of the beginning, I right. think, of that chapter, like right. where the company was definitely going through some transformations of people that had been there at the very beginning chapter,
1: right
2: now upgrading into like kind of a middle transitionary yep. one. Uh, was colleagues with some of your other former guests, I know, it's just so funny. Yeah, it was just a like great, smart people. Um, and So I was initially in charge of all the shopper marketing of like working with customers on bridging like innovation and brand goals.
1: Can you just define shopper marketing for our listeners? So shopper
2: marketing is an idea that companies have where you like, how do you channel your brand positioning and voice through your customers? So that could be. Part of it is like innovation strategy of getting them to be excited about the way you're approaching insights, category building. Some of it also can be like tactical tools like uh, little pieces of paper you put on the shelf that Mm -hmm. make people want to buy your product or couponing strategy. And so we didn't have that at Chobani before. I was hired to come in and try to create that because they felt they were getting a lot of pressure from Retail customers like okay, you're bit you're pretty big now. Like we now need to see things kind of go to the next level. We want to see you guys do these sorts of things, and so get a chance to build that. I ended up also uh, running all of their field marketing and sampling and their showmobiles. (laughs) I got a chance to do all the media strategy and planning for a while. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, but at a small company, you end up taking on different pieces as you grow and kind of show that you're capable. And got to be a part of that journey through. Lots of amazingly smart people coming yeah. to the team, and those are some of the connections and uh, relationships that, I mean, tw- 15, 20 years from now, like, people that were there during that time are going to be, are, are currently and will be doing yep. ridiculously amazing things. Awesome. It, it's It's so cool.
1: And then you left there. There was one more stop before yes. Oatly. Yes. So where'd you go? Okay. What did you
2: do? So I worked at a company called the Nature's Bounty Company, which does vitamins and uh, like protein bars and things. I'm not like a big powerlifter person, <laughs> but like I ran their sports nutrition portfolio. Now that may seem like a really odd choice. It was out on Long Island. I took the train every day. Yeah. Uh, very different company than Chobani. Um. I but for me. My time at Chobani really crystallized my belief that I wanted to go to something that was even earlier than where Chobani was. I needed to go smaller.
1: You kept going smaller and smaller and smaller.
2: And I, I at that point knew I don't want to just be like a chief marketing officer. Like I want to, I think I can be and have the ability to be like a president, general manager type role. However. One of the limitations that you have in kind of the traditional marketing uh, career path that I came out of is they don't ever really give you like the full financial responsibility right. of the businesses. They say, spend this money, but we'll tell you how much you get and right. like, do it toward these goals. And that doesn't mean you don't, you're don't you not smart about how businesses work, but you're also not really accountable right. for right. all the pieces from forecasting to obsolescence to operations and yep. the, kind of the full PL management, profit yep. and loss statement management. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my time at Nature's Bounty Company Um, I oversaw four portfolio brands. Some of them were big, some of them were small, some of them were growing, some of them were declining. Um, (laughs) and my job, like I owned the full financial accountability of that within that business unit. And so so, you
1: kind of ran those brands.
2: Yes. And, and, you know, the, the marketing, the sales strategy, like integration of the operations plan, like in that for me, I, I viewed it as, um, there were good people that worked there it was a good opportunity to get the things I felt like I needed to have in order to be a credible candidate for me to go to an investor, go to uh, a founder and tell them that they should trust me with like running their business. I would have felt like if I hadn't had that experience and, Things didn't go perfectly in an interest company. Those are hard brands. Right. It's an incredibly competitive category. But I mean, it
1: rounded you out.
2: Absolutely. I, yeah. I needed to have that to be credible and not both feel and in actuality be a fraud in saying that I was like ready to be given that opportunity.
1: So you knew you wanted to be a general manager of a brand. Like you knew that. Can you just define that? Because it is kind of like
2: general managers are like also sometimes like they run like convenience stores or like or like (laughs) restaurants. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But we I mean Oli's a European company. They have different kind of like title structures on things. Mm -hmm. And so
1: what would it be in America? I think it could
2: be called like a president or something like that. Or um, like a business unit president maybe um but i I wouldn't it doesn't matter to me the uh the general manager like i'm in charge of all aspects of the business and the brand so um at the beginning when it was a mighty team of like three of us Mm -hmm. uh that is 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 quite an empire of things but you're (laughs) you're in charge i mean commercial communications operations tying it all together with finance organizational development strategy All those pieces, I've been able, I've been incredibly fortunate to have a chance to um, kind of put my fingers on for Oatly here in the U.S.
1: Amazing. Okay, we're going to take a little break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the story of Oatly. We're going to talk about everything that I need to ask you. um, (laughs) And you're going to share everything you've ever learned from any of your jobs with everyone listening. 100%. All of it. Great. We'll be right back. In the Sauce is brought to you by Oatly, the vegan plant-based oat milk originally from Sweden that's now making their oat milk on this side of the Atlantic. I know you're used to hearing me talk about how important it is to have a killer product and a great brand identity, and Oatly has both. They're an oat milk company from the south of Sweden that's been around for 30 years making super sustainable oat milk. Actually, Oatly invented oat milk. Now they're in the U.S., and people are loving it. If you haven't tried Oatly, I highly suggest it. It won't change your life, but it will certainly change your mornings. You can check it out at Oatly.com. That's O-A-T-L-Y.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You, here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water—you name it, I cover it. You can find what doesn't kill you wherever you listen to podcasts and on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm back with Mike Messersmith, general manager of Oatly. Okay, so I think first of all, I don't know that a lot of people know that Oatly has been around for a while. I think they think it's like a brand new thing and some dudes figured out (laughs) how to make oat milk or something. But can you like really quickly tell Mm -hmm. the story of Oatly, A, and B, how they found you and how you found them and how the whole thing came to be?
2: Yep. So Oatly origin story – Our founder, Dr. Ricard Oste, uh, was a part of an academic team at a university in Sweden. They were uh, part of the early team studying the effects of lactose intolerance on human populations, which is a, on a, well, it doesn't affect kind of Anglo-European populations as prevalently, Mm -hmm. like is a global like issue. And he, in a very classic Swedish fashion in the early nineties, was able to bridge that like nutritional, like dietary issue into the effects of that dairy Uh, industry on global warming and climate change. Mm -hmm. And he kind of set about to say, well, if half the world's population has lactose sensitivity issues and uh, the dairy industry and the food and beverage industry as a whole is a under rep, like a huge contributor towards global warming and and the effects of climate change. Like, could we do it differently? Could we, if we had to start over again, how would I do it? And uh, kind of searched out different source ingredients, looked at legumes, looked at, Nuts looked at uh, oats. It was really where it landed because oats are an abundant mm-hmm. uh, crop in Sweden. They have good inherent nutritional value. They're easy to grow, um, and they are very—they're uh, they're not as taxing on our natural resources. And so he then, in addition to that academ- academic research, created a manufacturing process to liquefy those raw oat kernels yeah, and I've turn I've tried them to into make oat milk, yeah. and it just
1: congeals.
2: I know. That was always the issue. Yeah, don't, the, Google should makes makes it seem like it should be easier it's than so it is. It's so not that's, easy. that's part of the magic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have we have this oat base uh, manufacturing process where we take raw oat kernels that are stored in silos that come in on rail cars, and we break them down into a liquid oat ingredient format that is, like, legitimately our secret sauce. Yep. And in Sweden, since the 90s, We've been turning that into oat milk, but also like frozen treats yeah. and they're
1: eighty oat products. Oat or something gir- yeah, it's like a hundred right? items. Yeah. Like
2: really and, and the mindset is for us, if the product was set out to um, give more delicious, nutritious elements that don't tax our, na- our, na- our natural resources. If we were a cow's milk company, what would we make? Right. Um, and as it turns out, we can make
1: all almost of all stuff. of those
2: items using oats. Yeah. And oats are easy to grow. They're abundant in, in sourcing. And so that's been the goal. And, and, so, and then
1: when did they decide to come to the U.S.? Yep.
2: So in 2015, the company was kind of making a decision as we were bringing on uh, some new investors of like, do we want to be this primarily Nordic-based company where we're having great success, but to go to kind of the next level, like, is this an idea that's transferable? Is oat milk something? I mean, at that point, no one in the United States was really drinking oat milk. There was some brands that were making it, but it hadn't really gained broad market traction at all. No, we so, were
1: still drinking soy yeah, at that point. Yeah, that was like even like, like pre-almond pre- like milk. Like I know. Time machine, it's like time Remember like DeLorean, when? yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> so like we, uh, the, 2015, they're like, do we want to be this, do we want to stay on the Nordic focus or do we right. want to expand into other markets? And so at that point, Oatly made the choice and what it's incredibly cool because it's the same product everywhere we are. It's the same brand. We use the same type of packaging. Yeah. Europe, United States, China. Like we embarked upon that journey starting really in 2015 of expanding to other markets in Europe, yep. Germany, Austria, uh, expanded presence in the UK, Nordics, China, and the United wow. States. And so in uh, late 2016, uh, I started talking to them about. Uh, the opportunity to come on board and, and kind of lead our U.S. market, which in that point was an incredibly like nascent uh, yeah. early stages.
1: Well, because when I think about it, like you had to not only bring the brand to yeah. the United States, but you had to bring the whole category or, yeah. you know, Great. like.
2: not just, I mean, it's it's, you, it's hard building a business. Yeah. In an existing category. Right. But like, why does anyone need oat milk? And that was actually right. my initial reaction when they told me about it was like, I don't think that will work. Did Uh, you really? You didn't think it would work? 100%. Well, no, I mean, on its face, I was like, it's over. Almond milk, like, it's a massive category. I don't doubt that people are going to drink more plant-based products, but almond milk owns 75% of this category. But the thing is, if you know how much
1: water almond milk uses, just from the environmental perspective alone, when I first saw Oatly, you know. I know, I I was there. I, I mean, I was like, this is amazing because there are a lot of products that candidly I don't think need to exist
2: but there's not a lot I mean you'd also be in like classic brand management stuff you wouldn't necessarily believe that people are going to make altruistic decisions with their pocketbook or their 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 dollar based upon purely sustainability now that's changing right it also happens to taste amazing it also has to work and taste
1: great so so when you when they okay so you agreed to come on board. Despite yes. not being sure, well, I, I was work.
2: by the time I joined, I was completely sold. I tried the trying the product yeah. and like seeing the ingredients, seeing the certifications, yeah. like the brand, like the portfolio of innovation we yeah. have, like all of that. I was like, okay, this is a winner. Like, we it's can, just we such can... a
1: perfect. It was like a perfect alignment for you yeah. and your experience. But basically. I mean, these guys were Swedish. Yes. Um, my guess is that the markets look very different. Yeah. My guess is that people shop differently and stores operate somewhat differently and everything was different. So you... Did you kind of come up with like, okay, here's how we're going to launch this thing. We're not going to try to get it on the shelves of Whole Foods first. We're going to get it into like the most amazing coffee shops and get people like addicted to it.
2: Yeah. I mean, we had through the process of me joining the company, even before I started, we had amazing, comp- my, our CEO, Tony, creative director, John, like other people on the team. And I had great talks about how we would do this. Right. And I, this, our Swedish executive team is in and our Swedish Team Oli team in general, incredibly open to there. There's a lot of level of knowledge they bring, but they're also first to say that they're not the experts on what the American, the American consumer, market is. Right. And so that's part of the reason. If, if they if they thought that they were, and they might be right or wrong, that they wouldn't need me, right? And they could just direct it from over there. But the reason they wanted to build a team over here was right. because they needed that level of expertise. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pieces of, you know, the bulk of the category and our sales in Europe are all in aseptic shelf-stable cartons. People don't, there isn't a giant refrigerated section in grocery in Sweden. People are buying, you know, eggs, just non-refrigerated. Even cow's milk is sold in aseptic packages. there. And so we had to, and I I think a, a key part for us, which even just, you know, required recalibrating our forecast talking to our investors about like what to expect from us at Mm -hmm. the beginning in the united states was to say we are not going to try to do retail until we feel like we're ready right we are going to try to think creatively about our commercial strategy and our channel strategy and let's try to do one thing really really well and that was not just uh like an idea that we had, like we had had success in Europe in specialty coffee shops and we had like this great barista edition product. And we Mm -hmm. said, let's try to do that part really well. And if that part works, it should, in theory, open the door for the rest and solve other just general brand building company launching problems that we have.
1: I mean, is that, did you just make that up out of your head? I mean, because (laughs) if you think about it, like I can tell you what happened at Havens. Yeah. Right. We started selling it. We were like the only people that we knew that started selling it. We took soy off the menu. We still had almond. We started telling people, well, we have oat milk. They started using it. Then they got like completely connected to it. Then, when the great oat milk shortage of 2018 happened, people were literally offering my baristas $20, $50 (laughs) for the boxes of oat milk that were in the fridge that we were like, so grateful to have it. it was like liquid gold. People went bananas. Yeah. You could not have imagined that happening. No, but so I mean, did is that like a thing that you learn in business school? Like start with a start with like one one route to market and create well, something, and then is that like here, a here thing? The th- mean, they
2: didn't have that class. If they did, I didn't take <laughs> it. They didn't tell me to take that one. I took other ones um, that I I are just like, like, I don't even know how that now. even you so know? the things we were trying to solve for were yeah. like one. There's, you go to Expo East, you go to Expo West. There's so many brands out there with incredibly smart, passionate people that have great packaging, great products, but how does anyone ever know they exist? Yeah. And so what is the trial strategy for your brand? And you can hire good-meaning agencies that want to put your product in people's hands and try it like that, but like, creatively, maybe there's another way beyond paying someone to hand out a cup of oat milk in, right. in Grand Central Station when someone's like not in the, like yeah. conte- quality contextual trial right. of your product is gold.
1: Context being the big one. Yes. So like because people put milk in their coffee, yes. start with
2: yes Because it, it makes, it allows people, because when I'm approached with like, if you're at a music festival. And I'm there to enjoy that. Like I don't right. want to eat a protein bar no. at a music festival.
1: No, you get your protein bar when you do your Iron Man, sure. and you get your CBD kombucha, matcha, whatever when you're at some dancing thing. Exactly. Right. Whatever where do you get the sauce. Right,
2: whatever <laughs> the right quality. Where do
1: you get like, refrigerated sauce? Tell uh, me where do you get refrigerated uh, sauce? Yeah, like, I gotta think about. Yeah. That okay. Word. So
2: that was one piece you point out before. Like it wasn't just launching a brand; it was building a category. So I needed yeah. to get. Way, and for us, like with coffee shops, we loved it when people would say we want Oatly in our coffee, but we are just as happy and still are just as happy when they say oat milk.
1: Honestly, I think it's synonymous for a lot
2: of us. And so I just want to build, you have to build category, understanding and awareness. Um, that that was the, the second one. Um, and I had a third. Oh, I think the third one is like, as I don't know, as a founder, I'm not a founder, but like I, I, right. I this U.S. business is like deep in my heart. Yeah. Like, there's so much ambition for all the things that we want to do, that we believe we can do. Mm -hmm. I have no... I could sit here and talk about all the different channels and products that we would aspire to. But at the beginning, to try to do one thing really well, and not everybody's able to do that, like, financially. Like, because what if we were wrong? Like, we would have had to... Recant the whole thing and I, and maybe I wouldn't be here today. Like if we were wrong on that, but from a small team, like we had one product and one channel that we tried to really execute the crap out of and we, and we understood the mechanism. We understood the pricing, we understood the competitors and we didn't try to do too much too soon. And, uh, and then the market kind of told us when we were, when people were offering $20 at Joe coffees and Haven kitchens and places here in New York for like, buying oat milk over the counter we're like it okay cool we should try to sell this in retail now cuz i think there's a market there for
1: right. it right i mean it's it's like i'm looking at Maddie. it's crazy yeah yeah <laughs> um okay well let's speak about let's let's talk a little bit about innovation because sure. you were saying you know cuz one of the things that we talk a, a lot about on this podcast is like you know unless you're just a super well-funded founder maybe with like you know some experience and you get all this money you can't open 500 Whole Foods stores day one, you know, and mostly because it takes a lot of learning. Like, you have to figure out. I mean, we had a price change. We had a skew change. We had a formula change. We changed our mm. corrugated. We all within the first six months of launching Mm. had we done that in any you know in more than the 14 local Mm. new york city whole foods i probably would not be here today because i would have had a total nervous breakdown imagine doing that in 500 stores so we talk a lot on this podcast about like finding your core you know doing it really well merchandising the hell out of that like if you're in five stores be in those five stores every day. Mm-hmm. Like, do it really well. If you have a great product and you put like really good energy into it, and it's doing well, you will grow. Yes, it's not you know. But and it's a similar thing. Like, find one find one channel. Yeah, and do it really really. well. And well. even within
2: that, for us, like it wasn't all coffee shops. Like we right. believe that if we could find and identify coffee shops and we, we hired people in our team that are not me. Like I'm not an expert in, I was never a barista. I never worked at one of these great specialty coffee chains. Like we imported that expertise into our team of really great smart people that knew where the like, what places were setting the tone for the market. And if you can nail those, we felt like it would open up the opportunities for them. So then it's like, oh my gosh, how do I do coffee shops in New York city? Well, we didn't have to do all of them. We had to really like detail like some of them. And if that happens, the rest of it can kind of fall into place.
1: And it did. And then, um, well, so two things. One is innovation, right? So you have, you said a hundred products in Sweden and Europe, I guess. Yeah. So, how do you know when to launch a new one? How do you know which one is the next one to launch? Do you create a whole different team of people like how do you even go yeah. about the next thing? and I know that the next- the next thing is ice cream, yeah, which is exciting. It's delicious. so how'd you choose to do that so
2: there's a there's there's a boring and an exciting answer to this. The okay. boring one I'm is partially like practically of like there's ways if we want to do the yogurts and we we're really in love with the yogurts. There's like a, a a, like a mechanical processing thing that I can't find at Copackers that we would have to right. install in our factory that I just don't have yet. Right. And so ice cream, frozen was uh, frozen treats is a i don't there's yes frozen
1: treats there's probably
2: uh, someone from the dairy lobby I'm lurking sure. around I it. doubt um, it
1: it's it's my podcast the, I the, don't know uh, that the dairy lobby you is never too know. Much. I don't want
2: yeah. to get sued. Yeah. um so uh, like uh frozen
1: treats frozen delicious
2: yes. treats um we uh, we could make that like we found like we could do that without specialized in equipment states. in the states right using our oat base that we have we were able to like develop the flavors and so The first part was just practically, like, that would be the next one we could do. Great, okay. Secondly, we also thought of, like, okay, we have the oat milk, which is delicious and people like. And it's kind of like a core, like, staple everyday item. We thought then, like, it really does, like, a cool job of showing some brand stretch of what we want to be, what we want Oatly to embody of this, like, plant-based food and beverage company Mm -hmm. to, like, be in something that's super fun. Like Frozen is, like a part of celebration and indulgence and like treat and reward and like is a very different, I mean you can get a reward from having a delicious like, you know, oat milk latte or matcha latte or something like that. But also like, it's just different from having like ice cream at like a birthday party. Yeah, for sure. And we thought that that was a space where,
1: and you're a fun brand too. It showcases things in like a very
2: different way. The colors, the taste, the packaging. And so, um, and then ultimately, like, we have a, a killer product development lead here in the U.S. who has been at Oatly for 10 years. He's moved over here with his family from Sweden right. to help us here in the U.S.
1: Did you have to change any of the flavors based on sort of, like, American palate versus yeah. European we, palette? We did
2: a couple changes. I mean, I, I generally think we we take, like, 80 to 85% of what is successful in Sweden, and then we try to adapt it right. for the U.S. And so we adapted the packaging. Right. We felt like... Um, they had things like vanilla chocolate strawberry. We knew we wanted to have those, but then we kind of kept going into like the classics. Yeah. We thought it was, in one sense, it was like, oh, we're we're just doing like the classics. But in the other hand, it's like really hard to do fully plant-based vegan yeah. frozen. Especially with class.
1: like the mix-ins. It's, yeah, yeah. Like,
2: it, what I would do if I didn't have a great underlying like... Source ingredient, like if I, if I couldn't control my oat base, then I would add in peanut butter and raspberry and right. birthday cake and right. all sorts of things because you can make anything taste delicious yeah. with those. But to do like coffee yeah. and have it like mm. actually have like the mouthfeel, mm-hmm. the creaminess, no, no toothsome product, it's not, it should not be yeah. toothsome at all. <laughs> um, if you have the those things feel. and like actually make it be credible, be like, oh, like I don't, there's no compromise here. The yeah. biggest barrier for plant based consumption overall whether it's burgers, oat milk, frozen, et cetera, is people are ready now to embrace those items. Yeah. But they're not, they can't perceive that it's a compromise to what they're, you'll get casual consumers who aren't just vegans or aren't, we want all those people too. We want vegans. We want people with dietary restrictions. But we also want like my parents in Northeast Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. to buy that because they think it tastes great. And they're not perceiving a compromise to the, the ice cream that they used to order it when, brands have innovated to that level where yeah. you're able to do something like fully convenient, fully like plant-based with no compromise, then like the sky's the limit yeah. for how big the category can grow.
1: So going back to the great oat milk um, black market yeah. of 2018, uh. I did hear that there were people on Amazon like mm-hmm. selling it. Yeah. Uh, Amazon's like, the
2: wild west. Um, it's like the world's largest I mean, market, market. some
1: barista took boxes and sold it on it. I mean, I don't even know how they got them, but... Yeah more importantly, um, it goes to sort of the operations and the logistics. And it's, um, you know, we joke a little bit about like, yeah, it's a great problem to have. It's a super problem to have. But it's actually a super serious, stressful problem to have. I mean, and definitely a problem, maybe less. um, Well, I don't know, for small for small startups like mine, out of stocks, signal to buyers that we don't have our shit together. And then, um, and they don't like that mm. very much. So I'm wondering, A, how much damage control did you have to do? B, was it just like, you just had no idea what was going to happen and the forecast just got blown away? C, how did you, My, I'm assuming you were still making it in Sweden and sending it over here. and We were making it
2: all over here. You
1: were making it here and that was when the mm-hmm. shortage happened. But we've made
2: it here from the beginning. Oh, from We've okay. never imported from Sweden.
1: Okay. And so you just didn't have capacity.
2: Yeah. So I think the out of stock piece, like, it's why is it out of stock? Is it, uh like, is it because they've been ordering six cases per week for the last 10, 20 weeks and all of a sudden they're still ordering six but you're not shipping them six? Right. That means you don't have your shit together. Right. If... If you're ordering, if they've been ordering six and and now now they're ordering ordering 12 12, and then they're ordering 18 and you're like, yeah, we can get there. But like, I can't get you 18 tomorrow. Right. Like then they're willing to work with you because like, why did that happen? Right. And I think with us, so we felt it was really important from the beginning to set up our operational footprint here in the United States. Importing from Sweden is both uh, not going to be long-term financially viable. It's also not very sustainable to have to import all those things on big container ships. So we set up what we, you know, a still to this day, like, Elements of that original operational infrastructure, which is all co-packers.
1: And that was part of your original job as the general manager. Yeah. Like when you came on board, you were supposed to create an entire marketing strategy and set up an entire uh, production system.
2: I had a partner that was in charge of the contract manufacturing who okay. came from that world. But it's all ultimately on me. Yeah. All the pieces from forecasting wow, to man. partners, quality, you know, everything, transformation. Yeah. Had to build a great team for that. Oof. But yeah. And we also have a unique product for us that I go back to the, I described how Dr. Oste yeah. developed the product. Like we have a specialized you manufacturing. You had to
1: teach the co-packer how to make it.
2: Yes. Which is a delicate thing because if there's something that makes your product special and different, yeah. you have to be very uh, uh, thoughtful about how many potential partners you teach right. to do that relatively oh unique thing gosh, within your course. category right and so that when we built the it I, I promise it, it wasn't that we were just like completely out to lunch <laughs> with like how like oh we'll only sell two cases of this like what a great there are investors like are, like there's no way they would have let that fly like right. we add a robust operational footprint but what you're not ready for is when it's right. like
1: like right, no, and I never hard. really thought about it because like there is this proprietary piece. So it's not just like you can just turn on, you know, fifteen co-packers yes. because you need to like jack up your production. A, you don't want that many people knowing it. You have to build some sort of trust around that process yes. and you don't want it out there. It's one much.
2: in food, like food and beverage is like one of the having things that are unique. To your proposition, whether it's on an ingredient standpoint, a packaging standpoint, mm-hmm. I mean, a processing standpoint, like having being, and being able to point to a meaningful point of difference there that shows up for the consumers is one of the hardest things you have to do. Like for Oatly, that is processing the oats. The rest of it, filling it into the packages is relatively, I mean, it's still a challenge like for us, and I can talk mm-hmm. about that for uh, six more podcasts if right. you want to hear. Um, but uh, the, the key part is the, the oat base processing. And we have a partner that still is with us to today. They are great. They they worked with us. They went from making our product once a month to literally, we are taking up 70% of their line yeah. every week, but it just wasn't enough right. because the demand was like a freight train running away. Yep. We uh, decided as a company we'd build a factory, to which we did in New Jersey. Which uh, so now is, you make it yourself. We make the O base ourselves. Right. Um, we're building a second factory in Utah. That's wow. like a lot of money and investment, but and jobs, in jobs and construction jobs, and we have 25 people in New Jersey. We're gonna have 50 people in Utah. That's amazing. Um, but it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. We have to have like investors that believe, and they do. Yeah. Um, and but until then, what you tell the customers is, um, we're not adding new customers, right. Like, we you know, we had like the way you do damage control to yeah. Whole Foods, who yep. or Wegmans or Target, yeah, uh, our initial early customers, Fresh Direct, is and when we when we had this initial meeting, we we said, boy, if you guys can do X number of cases, this would be a huge success, I'd be super excited. We're now doing two times that, mm-hmm. and so. We're giving you as much as we can. Right. We're not adding new customers yep. and like taking your cases and giving them then. Yeah. The company's investing tens of millions of dollars to build capacity behind yep. it. And you it's it's one of the hardest pieces because your human instinct is to you wanna just tell like you wanna fix it. Yeah. Like you you don't want them to be upset. You don't want to have the lost opportunity of yep. all these things. And, like, you want to just tell them there'll be a date when it will be over. Yeah, and there isn't. You a just date don't like know. That. And you just don't on those ones, it's like, what well, we're doing. But you our got best. it
1: together pretty quickly. We did. If yeah. I mean,
2: that's great of you to say in retrospect. in the moment there, yeah. it didn't feel like it was happening no, particularly. because nothing it, does. But then you also like can't waste that opportunity internally. Like we were basically fully capacity constrained. Our numbers were like, flat for four months right. of just, we're selling every case we can make. Yep. And then, but you have to then be ready that when it comes back, yep. like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And, and the other piece there that was incredibly trying is you're not sh- like the market. It isn't just a static market where they right. everyone's just waiting on you. There's other people that are trying to Coming do that right thing in too. That. And yep. you know, so you have to not squander that opportunity internally and externally to like make it something that we can build off of. Uh, for the company. Right. I, I think we did an okay job at that. Like, yeah. I, There's always things I would go back and try to do better, but we, we tried to make the most of it.
1: Okay. For the last two minutes. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, everything that you can tell founders that you wish that they could know. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> You know, there's a lot, right? So mistakes yep. that, you know, you've seen made along the way, things that you think really define great brands from okay brands, things that define great brands sure. from great businesses. What are, the, like, your... So
2: a couple things. Yeah. coming uh, Some of them I've already said, but to reemphasize, yep. like I think you have to have a really thoughtful trial strategy for how is someone discovering your product exists. Yep. And if you can, I don't think... enough. Too many people in the natural food and beverage space do the like, and Whole Foods is an amazing partner, but do this kind of, uh, classic approach of thinking you like, just cause it worked for brand X is the way that right. I have to do that. Like you're not going to walk Oatly's path of where we were when we did it. Right. So thinking you, no one knows your product like you know your product and thinking about how someone can try it in the best circumstance that will get, make them be like, Oh, like I need to have that in my mm-hmm. fridge in my life
1: and it's not just like if I put it on the shelf everyone's gonna see it and be like yay cause that is no. not how You're it your kid I mean
2: yeah. like are you like I mean are you like that as a consumer walk into a grocery store like do I you see I anything was, there yeah. Who knows? like I, I, I walk down right. I, I love shopping I, like, I'm in CPG but like there's so much stuff that it's overwhelming. Yeah. There's more skew and it's not stopping no. So trial okay. strategy, yep. like I think a creative, like that creative commercial, like channel strategy is really, really important. And I don't think enough founders put like thought into doing it in a different way mm-hmm. and like finding a different, unique distributor route to market, like price point packaging solution, like something yep. that can give you like a, a like a, a foothold yep. to build upon. Yeah. Um, I think then, and this is is a tough one, but like you have to build the company for the company you want to be, not the company that you are today. That's on a hiring standpoint of like the minute you realize that you're like behind on this and people are like fraying at the seams, it's going to be another three to four months before you get that fixed. And that is sometimes a financial question. Sometimes it's a bandwidth question. But the more that you can imagine what company you want to be in four months be incredibly picky about the people you hire with both functional expertise and cultural relational expertise Mm of the company you want to be, the way you want to work, how they handle bad news, how they like respond to adversity. And if you can hire those people ahead of the business, it actually will enable, like people look at that as a cost rather than an investment. And I think people struggle with, actually achieving when maintaining their growth because they're not thoughtful enough about hiring ahead.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Speaking of hiring, did you find yourself hiring more people from the larger CPGs or from like people with more startup-y we, experience? We have a
2: handful. I mean, we. Uh, I have a handful of people that work at Oatly that I've worked with before that I kind of know that they're great at many things, but right. specifically the thing I, we want them to do here right. and we just know how, I know how they they work. Um, that's been phenomenal. I think that a big difference with a small company like ours or like startup sort of companies versus bigger companies is I can't pay for generalists. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's great smart people that say like, "I'm in brand like, you management." You need someone who knows I'm like, like but the you sales need to do calendar. This thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, and if you don't know, I I believe that you're smart, and I and this is tough because I told us earlier about trying to get those interviews. Yep. Like and like people yeah. not believing that the Navy nuclear engineer guy could do it, and like, but I wouldn't hire me right. for a job at Oatley today. Right. And yeah. so you ha- I think like I end up hiring people that have specific like skills that help me solve those problems that we need. And then as you grow, you can kind of fill in the cracks with people that yeah. are more on the strategy awesome.
1: side. All right, Mike, we don't even have time for your best moment. I'm assuming that this interview is, this your, was, yeah. this would be definitely
2: <laughs> top three. It's
1: like the highlight of your, of your Week? Oatly experience. Um, oh, all right because Matt's given me the old like you got to get off the okay. horn now okay Matt thank you thank you for being the best engineer ever um, Mike thank you for coming on obviously you, like <laughs> I have no words so helpful so amazing and Anytime. you're building this incredible thing and we're all really happy that it exists thank okay you. join us next time on In the Sauce In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast